It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, August 11th, 2011. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. We look forward to our study. We do look forward to it, and we look forward to hearing from you on the other end of the line tonight at 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com or join in the chat room with other listeners on the program tonight. We look forward to an interesting discussion tonight. We're going to pick on the preachers tonight. Well, we're going to talk about sermons, and, of course, that will be necessarily include talk about the preacher and how he presents his I'm sermon. looking forward to this one. But the topic is about preachers. And so uh, we've got quite a bit of feedback already, and I think people are interested in talking about sermons, what makes them good, what makes them not good, uh, and how we can get the most out of them. I, see a, I see a few preachers in the chat room tonight. Maybe yeah. they're looking for tips. Yeah. Well, or maybe they, they're trying to get... Maybe they're, pre- they're here to protect their reputation. Trying to get constructive criticism, okay. perhaps. All right. Again, that's a toll-free number for you to call, 877-381-4567. That number doesn't get used enough. You know it? I mean, we, we've got a toll-free number. We're just begging you to call us, and we don't, we don't get a lot of calls. Well, uh, if somebody wants to call in tonight... They ought to do it. Bring it on for the preachers, 877-381-4567. All right. Earlier today, Jacob, to our update list, I sent out some questions, as I always do, on Thursday, shortly after noontime, to try and get feedback started for our program tonight, give you the topic, tell you what we're going to be talking about, and ask you to uh, start giving us some feedback on some oh, study you've got some feedback tonight. we got quite a bit of feedback, so I think this idea of sermons and what makes them good and so forth is a, a, a subject that has some appeal for discussion, maybe maybe us preachers need to, to take some positive or even negative feedback okay. on, on our work. So here are the questions I sent out. And you can always, if you're not on our update list, you can get on our update list. Send us an email, questions at collegeview.com, uh, and then just put in the subject line, add me to your list, and we'll do it. Here are the questions I sent out earlier today. Number one, what are the most important things for preachers to do in order to make their sermons, first of all, acceptable to God, mm-hmm. and secondly, effective for the audience. Mm-hmm. So what, what do the preachers need to do in their, in their work of preparing and presenting sermons to make them what they ought to be as God would view it, and also from a practical standpoint to make it re- really do the job for the listeners? Okay. Number two, for listeners to sermons, what rules should be used to judge good sermons from bad ones? Okay. In other words, I think everybody in their mind, you know, hears a sermon and says, I like that one, that one was good, or that one missed it, I didn't, I didn't get much out of that. But what would be the appropriate rules to make a fair discernment between a good sermon and a bad one? And also, what can be done to help you get more out of the sermon? What can you do while you're listening Yes. to get more out of the sermon? So did that's you, question did you, two. Did you say something? Oh, oh I wasn't listening. Listening, got to okay. listen. Number three, specifically concerning visual aids. 
I think we probably get some interesting feedback on visual aids. Number one, what is, an, what is effective and what is not effective in the use of visual aids? Number two, what are some potential misuses mm. of visual aids? Mm-hmm. And then finally, the last question is, what's the best sermon you ever heard? Oh, that that might be interesting. Okay. All right. We look forward to your participation on the program tonight at 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com or the chat room is open for you tonight. Sign in there. Uh, follow instructions at the bottom of the chat window, and you have no personal information to divulge. You just can sign in there anonymously if you like, and you can participate with other listeners. All right. Um, so we probably should just get started right into the first question and, and see where it leads us. Uh, the, the first question had to do with the preachers and their work. And we wanted to know what are the important things for the preachers to do in order to make their sermons, first of all, acceptable to God. What does a preacher need to do to make... And really, Jacob, all things considered, that's what really matters. Mm-hmm. Because people uh, are fickle. Sometimes people want to have their ears tickled. As Paul told Timothy... You know, some people will not endure sound doctrine. Uh, they'll, how did he say it in, in uh, 2 Timothy 4? The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So, you know, the, the, you won't always be able to please men. That's what Paul was saying. And if that's your objective, you're going to be in trouble. As preachers, our top priority should be to to teach things acceptable to God in a way that's acceptable to God. And so that was the first part of that question. What do preachers need to remember to make their sermons acceptable to God? And we got some feedback on that. We did. And um, one of those uh, is um, from, uh, let's start with Chris. Chris okay. says, uh, must be scripturally accurate, must be also be written and presented with a loving attitude toward the audience. You may have a to deliver a tough message, but it should not be to berate or uh, beat up the audience. On the flip side, you do not need to sugarcoat the message so much that it loses its intended meaning. All right. Uh, I think that's right. Uh, we are instructed to teach the truth in love, and so we need to have the right attitude uh, while doing it. It may be a sermon that rebukes people for things that they need to change, but they need to understand that the preacher's doing it out of love for their soul and their eternal well-being. Sure. So I think that's a good point. Uh, you might have to deliver, he says, you might have to deliver a tough message, but it should not berate or beat up the audience. No. So, okay. I, I think that's true. I mean, if if, if it's just a, a hateful uh, uh, sort of proclaiming of damnation uh, w- without any positive information about how you can avoid that, that's probably not going to get the job done. Uh, I remember when we interviewed... Shirley Phelps Roper on the Virgin yeah, Bible Study. Yeah. And that was her idea of what the teaching should be like, just to pronounce God's wrath. From the Westboro Baptist Church, yeah. And uh, that's that's not what God wants. No. All right. Uh, Stephen is uh, in Georgia tonight. He says the most important thing for a preacher to do is to read the audience and to speak to the most basic and fundamental need of that particular audience as he best can determine where they are spiritually. My wife and I do prison teaching, and we know that 98% of those we meet on a regular basis have never heard the entire counsel of God on salvation. Therefore, I teach to my audience on that level. In a church setting, I would never consider that, as 98% of the audience has already been obedient to the gospel, and this would be a waste of their time and mine. 
I believe the address, uh, this addresses both A and B of your questions on number one. I would like to make a very important observation, having been part of the Lord's Church for 33-plus years. There are two parts of the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, 19 through 20. Number one, go and make disciples, baptize them. This is the work of the preacher or evangelist. His job is to preach the gospel to the lost. Thus, if he were doing his job as directed by command and example, he'd always be teaching the same thing over and over because he would be out in the highways and byways compelling the lost to eat at the Lord's table, and thus the scope of his message would pretty much be consistent with that audience. Uh, number two, the number two part of the Great Commission is to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded. That is the work of the elder who is apt to teach to feed the flock. The Lord's Church has adopted the system of denominations, has developed the fo- and fostered a professional preaching staff localized to a nine-to-five day job within the confines of the church building, calling him a minister, and for all intents and purposes, he is doing the job of an elder. Thus, no one is actually doing the job of the preacher. It boils down to the right guy preaching the right message to the wrong people in the wrong place. In my 33-plus years, I have probably heard over 3,000 messages, and probably 2,000 of them have been here, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Someone is not doing their job, he says. What do you think about that? You agree with uh, Stephen? He makes some pretty uh, pretty strong accusations there. Do you think that the I preacher is uh, forbidden to, to to teach those who are already Christians? I, I don't I don't totally accept everything that he said. Now, so, some of this I, I I do agree with that we do certainly need to be out teaching the lost, and and of course that they need to know the basics about what they must do in order to be saved. But on, I the, believe, on the highways, the byways, and the information superhighway. Yeah. Uh, however. Um, I don't believe that, that that's the exclusive work of the evangelist. I believe the evangelist can also do work of edifying and instructing and encouraging and sure. teaching saints. In Acts chapter 11, at verse 25, Barnabas went and found Saul. And verse 26 says, when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And yeah. the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. What are they doing there? They were teaching Christians. Well, and also he left Timothy or Titus. In Crete to take care of some business, getting uh, with things the saints, with, with the saints, teaching the saints. them in uh, Titus 1, verse 5, For this cause I left to in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. Now, if again, if the preacher was just supposed to be preaching to the lost and could not be instructing those who are already saved, what's Titus doing there? Yeah, I, I, so I'd have, to, I'd have to quibble with that part of Stephen's message. However, I, I don't disagree that we need to be out teaching the lost. We need to be looking yeah, for avenues right. to do that. And I'm willing to accept the criticism that not enough of that is done. And elders do need to be teaching. And elders need to feed the flock. But the elders, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that the elders have to be the one doing every element of the teaching in order to see that the flock is fed. Right. You know, if if you had a big flock of sheep and you're the main shepherd of this flock of sheep, that doesn't mean that you have to hand feed every sheep in the flock. You might have helpers. Right who help to accomplish that, but you make sure that every sheep in the flock has been fed. And that's spiritually the same way. The elders are responsible to see to it that the sheep are fed, the members are fed. But that does not imply that they have to do every aspect of the teaching personally. They can employ others to help get the job done, and and they may employ the evangelist to get that job done. Now, certainly if the evangelist is just sitting in his office and... uh not doing his work, then that is a problem and needs to be addressed. But certainly uh, we would understand that the preacher does have the ability and the opportunity to teach those who have been saved. Well, you know, this this sort of goes to a question that we don't really have time to get into probably with all the else that we've got scheduled to talk about tonight. But And I don't know where Stephen 
comes down on this question, but there are some who believe that you can't have a located evangelist working with a church that has elders. I just don't believe that that's borne out in the scriptures, but that might be a study for another time. All right. John is listening in Edmond, Oklahoma tonight. We appreciate John. He's in the chat room as well. He says, what are the most important things for preachers to do in order to make their sermons acceptable to God? They need to be scriptural, sound, and true to context. Preachers must speak as the oracles of God, and he references 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. You'd have to say amen to John's comments and observations there. Okay. All right. Uh, scriptural sound, true to context. I, I believe it. Speak as the oracles of God. I believe those are exactly true things. And then Pat in Harvest, Alabama, has sent in, and he says, the most important thing that is usually lacking is to preach the truth on things that the audience doesn't already believe the truth on. Yeah. And then he references, you can look up Ezekiel yeah, chapter that. 3, verse I 18. I had that. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 18. When I say to the wicked, when that when I say to the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn him, uh, warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thy hand. So Pat's saying, if God has given us the message in the scriptures, we have the opportunity to to teach that message to someone who's lost. If we don't, then we'll be guilty as well as they. I, I agree. We got if there's some people need to hear, and we're not preaching it, then. You know, Paul said in uh, when, when he was speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, he said, um, behold, uh, well, let's see, verse 20, wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Uh, so Paul said uh, that he preached it all. He didn't right. leave any part. No, and, and if there are things that are being neglected, that's wrong. But I got to quibble with Pat's uh, message as well. The implication of it is the only thing that the preacher should preach about is, or the most important thing that the preacher should preach about is the things that people don't already agree about. Uh, I see where you're going here, and uh, I think uh, I might agree with you. Uh, I, you know, that's not necessarily so. And I, I would go to Peter, what he said he did in first, or Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, he said, I will not be negligent to put you all in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. They agreed with what he was going to say. Yeah, I think it means as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. So mm-hmm. Peter, Peter didn't just preach things that people didn't already agree with him about. He said, it's my job to remind you of all things. Yeah. So, yes, we, uh, 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 to this extent, I would agree with Pat. If, if I know that there's something... That's uh, an issue that people are are not sound about. And but I avoid dance around it. But I avoid it yeah. to keep from you know I don't want any no 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 ruffled feathers ruffled feathers or, or you don't want to upset anybody step right. on anybody's toes. Then that's a preacher who's not doing his job. I, amen to that. But that should not be the sole emphasis right. of the preacher's work. Right. It, it sh- he shouldn't. It shouldn't be just an opportunity just to keep things stirred up necessarily. Yeah. All, All right. right. Well, we're gonna take a break. We're we're getting long on on this segment. We'll take a break, and uh, Dan's going to take us to that. And then when we get back, we'll take your questions or comments. 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. A lot of people in the chat room tonight that have not logged in. It's very simple. No personal information is required. You don't even have to have a credit card. It's free. It's uh, anonymous. Log in there and join in with other listeners. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. 
So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. Here's some quotes worth pondering. A person who can't lead and won't follow makes a good roadblock. A weak mind is like a microscope which magnifies trifling things but cannot comprehend the great ones. Better to be alone than to be in bad company. Man, I wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight as we talk about sermons, and we're letting the preachers have it tonight. And so get in on the party, 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. We appreciate Dan being behind the controls tonight and uh, getting us out there, hopefully making us sound good. We appreciate you for joining us on the program as well, and we look forward to your comments. Join in. Send us an email, give us a call, or sign in in the chat room tonight. All right. Uh, we asked, we're, at, we're talking about preachers, but more specifically, we're talking about the sermons preachers preach and what makes them effective. First of all, we talked about what it takes to be acceptable to God, and I think that's the bottom line and the most important thing, obviously. Right. Preachers are going to have different and varying degrees of oratory talent. And so Ooh, there, yeah, yeah. There, there'll be some that are better public speakers than others. But the goal of all must be to please God right. first. Right. And and if you ever lose sight of that, and I think a lot of preachers do lose sight of that, and they play to the audience. They're, they're focused more on their delivery than they are their message. That's right, and that's a mistake because our, our, the message is the most important thing, and pleasing God is the absolute bottom line. That's what we got to get done. But you do want to be effective to the audience. Uh, to the yeah. audience. And uh, Jack, I think we missed his comments. Uh, what, what do we do to be acceptable to God? Ensure it is Bible-based, has God's authority. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 tells us, if we don't have authority for what we do, then God will not afford us salvation. Certainly those comments are very valid. And he goes on to, to say then, to be effective to the audience, by speaking the truth, this is the most effective thing any preacher of God's Word can do. You've you got to speak the truth. Yeah, uh, that'll so be that's that's how you're effective the audience. Yeah, he says that's how you're effective the audience. Okay. Now that's not exactly what I had in mind with the question. Oh, you didn't. I I would link that to the first part. Being acceptable to God is speaking the truth, and obviously that's what the audience needs to hear. I'm, yeah. I, I, I think. But, that's uh, what, but again, that is effective for the audience. Yeah. I mean, it's not effective to me if you don't get up there and speak the truth. Right. If you just reading baseball, waste of my time. If you just reading baseball scores, you're not. Right. Or telling not, jokes. Yeah. So, uh, but but I was more, uh, when I asked the question, more along the lines of what can the preacher do? What kind of things can the preacher do in his preaching of the truth 
that will help get it across to the audience in the most effective way. That's what I had in mind. All right. Stephen has some interesting comments in the, tonight. I think he's in Michigan. We, we, we still don't know where Stephen is. Yeah, I appreciate he's in Michigan. Okay, Michigan. Why is it most, most can remember what is in a movie but cannot remember most sermons? Usually it's because with movies we have emotions tied to them. However, I'm not condoning that preachers should be overly zealous in their emotions but rather should evoke emotions from the audience. The best way to go about this in a scriptural way would be to personalize it. I've given sermons and would make specific application without mentioning names to those in the audience. They usually knew who they were, and they and their extended family would know as well. When you personalize it, they would most likely become angry, and now that sermon is sketched in their minds for a very long time. Personally, for me, I'm usually drawn to sermons that have some sort of originality to them, and when the preacher gets really deep so we can understand underlying principles, not so deep where we cannot follow along, but deep and simple enough to surely add to our knowledge base. So many pe- uh, people preach things off the top of their head, and you can usually tell when they did not try hard enough. Those sermons are usually boring to me because they are so superficial. I understand that there is a learning process, but if men go up, they should s- spend at least a couple of weeks in preparation. Others just are not really that knowledgeable, but if we have patience, then our measure of how... Interesting, their lesson is completely negligible. Um, in the end, these are just like my own personal things that I've done and have noticed with myself, though not everyone is like myself. So to what, what extent I may be wrong or right, I don't know. What I do know is that I can usually get a Bible class going by playing devil's advocate and asking questions that I know others will really try to explain or will make an off-the-wall comment that I know is completely false but quite controversial, and it does get people going a little. Hopefully I don't cause too much anger to the point of sin or anything, but if a little more wisdom should be exercised, but a little more wisdom should be exercised when doing this. What do you think about that? Well, that last part of that, I would really caution about that playing the devil's advocate in a public teaching forum is usually not a, a I think an advisable thing. It can it can shake the faith of some. Yeah, I mean if you're in a if you're in a, a Bible class setting where there may be visitors or new converts and you espouse as as he said an off the wall position, uh, take the devil view of uh, espousing something you know is not true. I, I I really question the wisdom of doing that in that kind of a setting. Now if you and I are uh, just setting down one-to-one, Jacob, I might say, well, what if I took this position? How would you answer me? Or right. something like that. But I, I, I'm not sure that that's a very uh, wise thing to do in a public teaching forum. I, uh, sometime or another, we might spend an, uh, another virtual Bible study talking about proper conduct in Bible classes. But I'm concerned sometimes when I hear Christians uh, say things and take up positions publicly in a Bible class where there are babes in Christ and, and visitors from the community, and they take positions that uh, that really can do damage. Maybe they're just interested in hearing the thing batted around, but they don't yeah. know that by saying this, they might be really harming. Or, or the someone babes. who maybe maybe someone who he's sort of thinking about some kind of weird position, and so he throws it out there like he really believes it, and and he it really can stir people up and shake their faith when he's he's espousing something that's totally false and he'll later he'll study it and find out that it is but right now he's acting like it's true he'll find out it's false later but in the meantime he's convinced others that it might be true yeah all right now from stephen's comment i do think it's interesting uh, and fully agree with his comment that we need some depth of teaching it doesn't it shouldn't all just be superficial teaching we need some depth but it also needs to be 
taught in such a way that it can be comprehended. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I've heard preachers who who obviously really knew a lot, but they didn't have the capacity to get it on a level that people could comprehend. And right. you might contrast that with Jesus, who obviously knew far more than any man will ever know, and yet he was a master teacher. He could get it on a level that even the simple people could understand and and grasp and make application of it. And so I think Stephen's comment along those lines is very good, and and, and preachers need to work to that end. i got to ask you a question. What about the emotions? Uh, Well, I think there is a place for emotions. If if someone's teaching the truth, but they're – they obviously don't have. They're not very excited about it. That doesn't impact how how effective they are in getting that message across to someone else. It may be all true, but if you don't act like you're have any zeal about that truth, then people probably won't get much out of it either. So there's a place for that. It it has to, as he says, it needs to be measured. But there's a place for that. All right. Appreciate those comments, Stephen, and for your time tonight. John in Edmond, Oklahoma, says. Uh, uh, what does it need to be? What's what's it, excuse me? What's it take to be effective for the audience? It needs to be presented in an orderly fashion, showing purpose of the lesson as well as application of the lesson. I agree, John. Exactly. When I go to hear preaching, what I like to be able to do when it's over is in my mind I like to see a I like to visualize an outline of what the preacher preached about. What was his subject? How did he approach that? How did he how did he move from point A, B, C to a conclusion? Correct. And how did he apply it to our lives today? Uh, I, even if he and we're going to get here, Jacob, in a moment to talking about visual aids. But even if he didn't use any visual aids, I still like to have that sort of formulated outline in my mind. If he, I think if he's done his work well, I'll be able to see where he went. Mm-hmm. I heard a story about a fellow once, Jacob, who went to hear a preacher preach. Uh-huh. The next day, someone asked him, what did the preacher preach about? Mm-hmm. And his answer was, I don't know. He didn't say. Yeah. I, 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 did I hear that sermon? <laughs> yeah, probably. I thought I was there, too. Yeah. But uh, we need we need to be organized. And I, I, that's what, what uh, John says here when it needs to be presented in orderly fashion, showing purpose of the lesson as well as application of the lesson. I think that's exactly right. I do. And uh, John is in the chat room, and he adds, most of the Bible can be presented in a simple and clear fashion. Preachers should try to keep it simple unless the subject or context calls for more complexity. I do agree with John on that. We should mention that John is in the chat room tonight. You can also hear John in a program similar to ours on Tuesday nights at 7.30 at scripturalway.org out in Edmond, Oklahoma. Check, check that out. Check out scripturalway.org. Chris in Atlanta writes, to be effective for the audience, he says, I may get myself in trouble, but I am speaking from audience members' perspective as well as someone who occasionally delivers the message. It should be a lesson that can be delivered in a reasonable amount of time. I've sat through some lessons where I thought it would never end. While they were usually relevant and informative, you tend to lose most of your audience after a certain point. I'm not saying all sermons must be only 20 minutes and no more. Some topics and situations require more, but the longer the lesson, the less the audience will be able to process. Mm. I hate it when I hear a preacher or elder scold the congregation for getting fidgety after a certain amount of time and use the analogy that they can sit through a three-hour ball game but not a two-hour service. Mm. That analogy fails because during a lesson in worship, there is an entirely different atmosphere and frame of mind. The mind can only process a certain amount. During a ball game, you do not have to sit still and concentrate on a long delivery. 
there's not as much mental processing that needs to occur and you have more ways of emotional and physical release than you do during a lecture or a sermon. I hope I communicated this correctly because I am not one to watch the clock, but do suffer with ADD and certain situations are more of a challenge to endure with this condition. Wow. I, I think uh, he's, he's really... I think he nailed it. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm on your side, Chris, about that. I, I don't I don't understand why some preachers think that they have to preach hour-long sermons when they know that when they go past 30, 35, maybe 40 minutes, or and it may not be that long, maybe it's 25 minutes, when you go past a certain set period of time, you, you're not going to be effective. You, yeah. might, you might as well use an effective amount of time to get as much lesson taught as you can. And if you can't get it taught in that much time, then break it up and teach it over two periods of time. But I, I just... I've always been baffled because preachers know that they are not effective when they preach extraordinarily long lessons, and yet some seem to be just determined to do that no matter what. Yes, yes, it uh, does need to be tempered, absolutely. You know, and there may be not a time when a longer message is required, but, uh, again, we've got to measure the effectiveness. You know, Dad, if, uh, if we're doing something and it's ineffective, we're wasting our time regardless of what it is, especially if it's a, if it's a sermon. Well, if, if if let's say I take the position, people ought to be able to sit there for an hour and listen. Yeah, you could argue that. Well, if I take that position, but in rea- the reality of it is that after 30 minutes, they're not really paying close attention and they're not getting much out of what I said. Why wouldn't I use the first 30 minutes of that to the maximum of uh, effectiveness and then sit down? Yeah. Well, Anthony is in the chat room, and he has a little different take on it. He says, my chemistry professor on the first day of class talked for 11 minutes and then told everyone to stand up. He said the human attention span is only 11 minutes, and Anthony always remembered that. I, I tell you what, I think the human attention span is shorter and shorter. Mm-hmm. I think that, that we are programmed by media these days to, to accept information in short bursts. I, I don't doubt that people of, of several generations ago could sit and listen for hour-long sermons, and, and it, it could be very effective. But I seriously doubt how how many preachers today can hold the attention of people for, for 60 minutes and do so effectively. I don't think there are many. There may be some, but there are not many. I'm not one of them for sure. Okay. All right. Uh, Stephen uh, says, I can tell you. I can't tell you how many times I've asked my son what was the sermon on, and he will say, I don't know. When I teach, my goal is that those listening leave knowing something that they did not know when they came. As to answering uh, question B, what can be done to get more out of a sermon? I always have my lessons interactive with the audience and encourage them to ask questions, make statements either for or against. People must be engaged and feel a trust that happens when you teach like this. You have to know your stuff and not blow smoke. Be willing to teach the uncompromised truth and let the chips fall where they may. I always tell my audience that if I pick on their denomination, not to worry. I'm an equal opportunity offender. That is, I pick on them all, including the Lord's Church, when necessary. What do you think about asking the audience to speak well, out during the assembly? Uh, well, uh, I, th- there may be some place for that, but I think it'd be fairly limited. And I would, I would especially caution from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when Paul said that when we come together that all things should be done decently and in order, 1 Corinthians 14.40. Yep. And so I think we do have to be careful. I mean, if we just got a wild uh, back and forth going on, then we, we may fail that instruction. So I, I'd say that has to be used again with some caution. And Steve is in the chat room tonight, and he counters your uh, idea that we ought to limit the length of our sermons to what uh, can be you know, most effective to by saying that Paul preached until midnight. 
Yeah, well, if we were Paul, if we were an inspired apostle, that might make a different rule for us. Well, the other thing is you don't know when he started. That's right. He may have started a quarter till. Yeah. We don't know how long that sermon was. I think it was a, I think it was a relatively long one. Well, Eutychus fell asleep yeah. and fell out the window. I don't know, though. Sometimes Even felt... Paul couldn't hold their attention uh, perfectly. <laughs> yeah, well, he wasn't effective with him, was he? Yeah. All right. Uh, so there you go. 877-381-4567. Questions at college.com. And we talk about not preaching long, and we've gone past our break. Look at that. Let's, let's Hypocritical this, if you ever saw Let's get the bullet point break Let's in. get the bullet point, and then we're going to come back, and we'll take your comments. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. We continue right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Concerning Abel, the Hebrew writer stated, He being dead, yet speaketh. Hebrews 11, verse 4. His example of faith and obedience has served to motivate others for thousands of years and continues to do so. When we die, our influence will also linger. Ours will not endure for nearly so long as Abel's, but it will have a lasting impact on certain people. Consider, for instance, your family. No doubt the greatest realm of our influence is with those of our own kinfolk. They know us best of all, have spent the most time with us, and are the ones most thoroughly familiar with all that we have done. What bearing will your life have on those you leave behind? Will your children be blessed with a legacy of faithfulness from which they can draw strength long after you're gone? Will your children's children continue to benefit from your strong example? Or will they have learned a sad lesson of spiritual compromise from what they've seen in you? Or consider your friends. All of us have a wide-reaching circle of friends and acquaintances. You might be surprised to know how much your words and deeds are being observed by them. After all, you're a Christian, and they know this about you. Therefore, they're drawing conclusions about the Christian life by what they see of it in you. Even after you're dead and gone, they'll have an enduring impression, for good or bad, from you. And you also need to consider your brethren. In the Lord's church, we are to be a close-knit spiritual family. God's plan for the church included the positive strength and support we could gain from one another, as taught in Ephesians 4, verse 16. Unfortunately, some do not take this very seriously, and instead of helping and encouraging their brethren, they actually serve as a source of discouragement and disappointment. When you die, and as your fellow Christians look back on your life, will you be seen as an asset or liability in the family of God? One day, in the not-too-distant future, you will die. What will your life's example continue to say about you then? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great, I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd, but don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. You just might find it is easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College U Church of Christ. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. Hey, and welcome back. And we're talking about sermons on the program tonight. We've got a problem. We're going to we're going to stop on time tonight because we've been we've been saying that preachers need to be careful about the time. Yeah. And so we've got a lot of material to go. Let's move on. Let's, let's move fast. Let's move on. Let's talk about listeners to sermons. What rules would you use to judge good sermons from bad ones? Now, the reason I ask that question, is, Jacob, is because there's some subjectivity to this. Yeah. You know, uh, I like that sermon. I didn't like that sermon, we might say. Yeah. 
But on what basis do we make those determinations? Uh, hopefully, the, the, we can make them properly and, and, and not be just uh, totally... Subjective? Well, not just totally uh, frivolous about our determination in those matters. Uh, okay. Let's go quickly to our emails. Chris says, um, good sermons are ones that can be packed up and verified by Scripture. Backed All, up. Backed up. And packed up. Backed up. Pack them up. up and get them out of here. Good sermons are ones that can be backed up and verified by scriptures. All others are bad sermons. I, I would agree with that. That if they're not verified by scripture, they are not good sermons. I, okay. I You know, I, I heard someone talk about a preacher, and they said, you know, he used very few scriptures, maybe one or two yeah. in a whole sermon. Well, what's he talking about then? Yeah. He's just talking about his own opinions. Yeah. He, he just he, he's just he espousing his yeah. own ideas. Yeah. It, it, it really, I, I would think that a preacher needs to be able to go to Scripture. Every point of his sermon needs to be verified with mm-hmm. scriptural proof. And if he hadn't got that, then he's just preaching his own opinion. That's not a good sermon. Yep. Uh, Jack in Hampshire, Tennessee says, I judge how good our sermon is by the following. Is the sermon biblically accurate? Does the preacher have a good knowledge of the material he's presenting? You don't want to be a read your entire sermon from your notes, uh, he says. Uh, is the sermon material uh, in a logical sequence? Is the preacher talking to me or just talking? Is he making eye contact with me? He needs to look pleasant, confident, and not arrogant. He should speak, and this is in big letters, he should speak slowly, enunciate clearly, and show appropriate emotion. I think those are all good points. Uh, but notice where he started, and I like the way that his first point is: it biblically accurate? If it's not, if it's not big, biblically accurate, that's the most accurate, important thing. Then the mechanics, are, as he's they we'll, follow we'll down, on to follow. Yeah, the yeah. other things are important too. But if the first one's not there, if it's not biblically accurate, then it's not a good sermon for sure. Okay. Uh, John in Oklahoma says, uh, uh, "Let's see. Oh no, he didn't answer this question. We're going to go oh, to him." In oh, a minute. points off for that, John. Okay. Um, and we got you know, uh, we got Steve. Go ahead. Uh, Stephen says. Uh, Vis- we, we, no, already did it. we did his already. We read uh, number two on his. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, we already right. did that. But uh, the, the one thing that we should comment about here, you know, there's a trend for to preachers to be more entertainers than proclaimers of the truth. And a lot of people, you know, they judge the quality of the sermon, whether it's a good one or a bad one. How many jokes did he tell? How how good were the illustrations that he, he used? He didn't look at his notes the whole time he was he, up there. Yeah, he... he you know, I even know some preachers who think it's just absolutely essential to preach without notes. Yeah, yeah. That that makes it good preaching versus a preacher who looks at his notes is not doing good preaching. He, he never got behind the pulpit. He was just moving around up there. I, I knew a lady once. I really liked that preacher. He, he, he moved all around during the sermon. And then I talked to a, another woman who doesn't like the preacher to move all around. Right. So, I mean, th- those are preferences. Those are personal preferences. You can like or dislike those kind of things. But to be effective, it's got to be from the the Word of God, and it's got to be proved from the Word of God. And hopefully that's the basis on which we make the determination as to whether it's a good sermon or not. All right. 877-381-4567. Help us have a good program tonight by giving us a call or sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. The other part of that question is, as a listener, what can be done to help get more out of the sermon? You know, I think that's a key. That if we work at it, we can get something good out of, of even if the speaker is not a great orator, you know, he just he's 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 not a particularly effective public speaker, but if he's preaching the truth of God, and if we put forth effort, it may require more effort if he's not a really good speaker, 
But if we put forth effort, we, we should be able to get something out of it. Okay. So what would be some suggestions? Chris says, come with the mindset of what I can learn today and what one and what one takeaway item can I leave with and apply to my life. In other words, he's, he's be, looking, be, to, get be something looking out of for, to get something out of it. That's right. Uh, Jack in Hampshire says, bring your Bible and turn to the scriptures as they are cited or shown on a slide. Okay. Take notes, he says. He adds that. And he says, get enough sleep the night before. Eat a good meal beforehand so you're not thinking about food. Don't concern yourself with what's happening behind you. Make a diligent effort to listen and focus on what be, is being said. If you get sleepy, go stand up in the back of the room. All right. I think those are all good That's suggestions. Good. I especially think, and a lot of people would come across the same suggestions, take notes. Uh, if, you, if you're having trouble st- uh, staying with the preacher, paying attention to what he's saying, Maybe if you're having trouble trying to organize that mental outline of what he's, where he's going and how he's getting there, right? if you sit down and try to outline it, take notes of what he's saying, you may be able to see a pattern there that you hadn't detected by just listening. And so I think taking notes is a particularly good thing, if, especially if the preacher is, is having some trouble keeping your attention. Yes. All right. The good comments there. And, but, uh, and you're, what you're saying is that a good sermon is not going to be effective unless I'm working on my end of the things and making sure that I'm trying to get something out of it. As a preacher, you always see some people who fall asleep in a sermon. I mean, it's, it's effectively unavoidable. In fact, I, I know I've watched uh, on, on TV when the president gives the State of the Union address and uh, the vice president uh, is sitting there behind him and who is the other one? Uh, the, the Speaker, uh, the of, the speaker of the House. And I've seen those guys fall asleep on public television, millions of people watching while the president is speaking. So falling asleep while listening to a, to a talk is not an uncommon thing. But when it's the same person who every time falls asleep, then you think there's a person who's really not putting forth much effort to get anything out of this. Right. All of us will get sleepy from time to time. That's, that's I think, pretty much unavoidable. But right. when it's always the same person falling asleep every time, then that person needs to put forth more effort. That or needs to go to a doctor. Yeah. All right. Um, well, yeah, certainly we do need to be active. Now, you ask number three, uh, you want to sneak that in or you want to take a break? Well, let's, let's uh, suggest what we're going to ask, and then we'll go to our break and come back and deal with it. We want to talk about visual aids. Now, we've been asking what can make sermons more effective, what can help us take away more. Chris said he wanted to have at least one takeaway that he could yes, he did. go with uh, from, from hearing a lesson. I think visual aids are probably an important part of that. And we asked the question, concerning visual aids, what is effective, what's not, and what are some potential misuses of visual aids? Well, let's talk about that when we come back. And then our final question we'll go to real quickly at the end, what's the best sermon you ever heard? I think all of us probably have Nobody's answered. Oh, yeah, we did get a few answers. Uh, I think probably everybody has in mind a sermon that just really sticks out in their mind as having been really good. And I'd like to you to share with us what you thought made it. An extra good sermon. And if you have an outline, you can email that, and you might yeah, use yeah. it on Sunday. And if you've got the outline, send it, yeah, we'll all preach it on that. Sunday. All, yeah. right. <laughs> all right, we're going to take a break and go to the top of the hour. Don't go anywhere. We continue right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hi, I'm Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a suggestion for you and your family. Why not turn off the TV on Thursday nights and gather the family around the computer for an hour of in-depth Bible study? The virtual Bible study always involves subjects of importance and interest to serious Bible students. So, why not join this Internet Bible study group every Thursday night? This is Jared in Warwick, 
Berkshire, England. Listen to the chat from the virtual Bible study each Thursday night. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And we're back on the program tonight at 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. The same way you get in touch with us anytime that you might have a question or comment about something you've heard on the program, even if you're not listening to us live. We welcome your comment. Dan is behind the controls tonight. Dan, uh, uh, as we went to the break, had some uh, good things to say. Dan, as a listener of uh, of sermons, uh, what do you, how do you how do you make sure you oh, profit? Just, uh, I mean, kind of like the old saying. Greg kindly you know summed it up. But uh, you know, one way I I, seen, I like to think of it is the fact you'll get out of it what you put in it. Yeah. If you're not really trying to learn something then you're probably not going or, to learn something. Or, Dan, maybe you've decided before you get here, oh, that he never has anything for me to say here. You yeah. know, that I never get anything out of it. This isn't the guy I want to listen to. Good comment. Yeah, okay. Let's go quickly to the question about visual aids. What's effective as a visual aid? What's not? Uh, Jack says, keep it simple. I know Jack, and sometimes he adds another word there, keep it simple, stupid. Oh, that's not a nice word, Jack, Jack. <laughs> but that, that is, we do need to keep it simple. If you don't want too much you, you don't want too much stuff crammed into one slide or on a one board, complicated diagrams or too much text only confuses the viewer. Text which is too small makes it hard to read. Text should be 22 point or larger. 22 it's, points in a sermon? Are you serious? No, he's talking about oh, the, the, the size. size okay. Yeah. Specific to PowerPoint, too many animations or swirling text flying in and out of the slide is not effective. You know, I, I, when PowerPoint first came along, I heard of a fellow who was using it, and he was preaching about baptism. <laughs> and he had he had the he had animations on his slide. He had the preacher walk into the baptistry from this side, <laughs> and the fellow walk in from this, and the, he baptized him. He baptized him three times, and then they both walked out. You know, well, I'm gonna tell you. That's what people were paying attention to, and they were paying attention yeah. to whatever he was saying yeah. while he was while that animation was going on. And so the the rule, as it has been said for a long time, the medium should not become the message. Yeah. In other words, it's to be an aid. It's not to be the show. Right. It's, it's to aid in getting your points across and getting them remembered. Now, I think there's a very powerful place for visual aids. I, uh, it's been proven over and over and over and over again that people – retain much more if they both hear it and see it than if they just hear it. And so visual aids certainly are, are, are a good thing to help people retain a message, but they need to be used effectively. And as Jack clearly says, don't let the medium become the message. Don't, be it, don't let it become a distraction rather than an aid. Okay. All right, Chris is in Georgia, and he says effective, effective visual aids are easily seen and understood. Ineffective visual aids are those that have very small writing or diagrams that cannot be seen. You also do not want to put too much information on a slide or poster. Also, gear the aids toward the audience. I was presenting a lesson to some young people on the dangers we need to be aware of. I used an empty beer bottle and a TV guide and an empty pack of cigarettes. I was told that the young folks were glued to my lesson when I pulled out the first visual aid. And did not, uh, And to clarify, I did, I did not empty the bottle of cigarettes Oh, and the cigarettes myself, I found them on the side of the road. So that's how he used some aids to get their attention. All right. Now, that might be that might be appropriate in a class of young people in a worship assembly. Probably not. Maybe that, again, you have to be careful on this business of, of being decent and orderly. So, I mean, that, that's a judgment call. But I, I'd, I'd, I'd want to be a little bit careful about going to some extent. I knew a preacher once, and I think we talked about yeah, him on did. the virtual Bible study recently where he lit a cigarette 
in the pulpit. He was talking about the sin of using tobacco, and he lit a cigarette in the pulpit to, to sort of drive his point home. It was considered to be inappropriate, yeah. and I think rightfully so. So you got to be careful with that. All right, and uh, John in Edmond, Oklahoma, says, a First, a preacher should be willing to preach effectively without visual aids. With that said, showing simple points, drawing the listener's attention to key points can help to retain portions of the lesson's main points, definitions, key verses, etc., I do not think it is very beneficial to have the congregation read your sermon from your, with you from your charts. Less is often more. So John says that they ought to be aids and maybe not necessarily a prop. I don't think you – I agree with him. I, I think you can put too much up there. You don't have to have every, every sentence that you're going to speak on a chart. It needs to be the highlights. It needs to be the bullet points. It needs to be what you want them to take away, as Chris said. I think that if, if a preacher has done his work well – an hour after people leave the services, if they can remember the main points of your sermon, you probably did a really good job. Right. And so the visual aid should be to help accomplish that end. What are the main points so that they can remember them? All right. Uh, uh, Stephen in, uh, says uh, he always has a handout with a list of scriptures he's using with inmates so they can read up what we covered and to, to read ahead. This would, do in a, this would not do in a large audience but would in a small group Bible study. For me, the back the blackboard is the ticket. I can add and erase and use it in a way that overheads cannot. Remember, my lessons are interactive and often go in unexpected directions, depending on the audience with their questions and comments. Hey, what well, about that, that, that I think I think Stephen is there more describing like a, so, Bible so a Bible study setting. He said he does a lot of work in prisons, and that yeah. and that's not necessarily the same way that you would approach uh, using visual aids in a sermon where the preacher is preaching and he's not calling for. A response from his audience. Hey, what about handouts? You like handouts? Uh, sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes, but uh, I'm like John. I don't like this. I don't like this. The the audience to read what I'm about to say. You know, I don't like that either. And I feel like I'm in kindergarten when they hand out the ones where you fill in the blanks. But well, I have so found that audiences really like that. Audiences like that. And some preachers claim that it's very effective in keeping people following I, along. I, I tell, I, I, I'm not sold on I that. I have myself. done it before reluctantly, and I'll tell you, they were glued to me so they could fill out that next line. It was amazing. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan. I'm not I, a fan, but I but I tell you, it worked. Maybe some some of the preachers in the audience can comment on that. I don't, I don't, like, I don't like it, but people did. All right. What's the misuses of visual aids? We're going to have to go quickly here. What's the misuses of visual aids? John in Oklahoma says entertainment. Some graphics may be helpful in illustrating certain points. However, it is possible to have the PowerPoint presentation appear more impressive than the lesson itself. Mm. That is, too much animation, too many pictures, and so forth. This might be a personal judgment issue as long as the intent is not to entertain and impress the audience. I agree, John. And, and I do think that I have seen some instances where I felt people went too far, too too much, too excessive on on the, uh, you know. And really, we we haven't mentioned this, but we live in an amazing time. I mean... Uh, what we're able to do in regards to visual aids today compared to just 10 or 15 years ago is just amazing. Therefore, we have to use some real discretion in, in making it appropriate and not overdoing it. You can sure overdo it if you're not careful with PowerPoint. I was talking with an older preacher last night about uh, the old sermons on bedsheets and, uh, and how they used to do that. He's, and talking about long preachers, he said he used to have a preacher had a, just a full bedsheet, and he'd get through the, done with that, you thought, oh, we're done. And he'd rip it off, and there'd be another one, and another one behind that, and you'd be there for hours, he said. Yeah. But just think about, I mean, for those of us who preach, think of the advantage that we have now over those preachers who had to spend, they would spend weeks, literally, hand-painting those bedsheet sermon charts. Uh, 
and uh, wow, we, we can put together a, a PowerPoint presentation in just a matter of a few minutes. Knock the need socks to. off of those sheets. That's right. All right. Uh, well, we're on to... Uh, real uh, quick, uh, Jack says, don't read from your slides. Slides or, or marker or chalkboards or visuals should only enhance your presentation. Agreed. All right. And Chris says, uh, using visual aids that tend to be more appropriate for an entertainment atmosphere. For example, putting sound effects on a PowerPoint slide and anything that would tend to detract... Uh, from the material rather than serve as an enhancement. In most cases, less is more, as John has said. Another misuse could be to uh, be too many or inappropriate physical movements by the presenter, for example, dancing around or hopping around while preaching. Uh, yeah, I knew a preacher once uh, that he would actually disappear behind the pulpit and then leap out from behind <laughs> it, uh, and I thought that was overdone. I mean, uh, he, he was using it for an effect. and that, that's what, was the effect? what was he going for? I don't know. Okay. All right. All right. What was he so talking Okay. All right, so now, uh, we, those of you in the chat room, real quick, tell us the best sermon. You don't have to go into detail. Tell us the best sermon you ever heard, what it was about. We've got just a couple who've responded to that. And, uh, you know, I think all of us probably have in our mind the best sermon we ever heard and why it was so. Uh, let's, let's read what Jack says. A sermon I heard about being a second or third generation Christian. This preacher asked for a show of hands on how many second and third generation Christians were in the audience. I raised my hand. He told us to keep our hands up. He then proceeded to ask us the question, who can open their Bible and show me why we use unleavened bread on the first day of the week when partaking of the Lord's Supper? Well, I thought for sure he was going to pick me and I would have to answer in front of the entire congregation. And at that time in my life, I couldn't answer that question, even though I'd been raised in the church all my life. At this moment, I was sweating profusely. After what seemed to be hours, but really only seconds, he told us to put our hands down. Boy, was I delighted. He ended up telling us that if we couldn't open our Bibles and prove what we believed, then our religion was in vain. It had no meaning. He told us that we'd been wasting our religion on what we had heard and witnessed from our parents, and as a result, we were really not that much different from someone who practiced witchcraft. Because a person who practices witchcraft can't open God's Word and show authority for their practice either. The sermon woke me up and was what I needed to hear. Because of his actions as a preacher, my life was changed for the better. Right. I think that's the key. Don't you think that, that all of us, in regards to what we remember as a really good sermon, uh, is that it made it changed us for the better? Right. It motivated us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not, it, wasn't the, it wasn't maybe the PowerPoint or the, the uh, oratory skills of uh, the one who presented it, but the message and the... And the result in our lives. Chris in Georgia says it was a lesson on our speech and how we should season our speech. Our words should be like tiny presents to uh, to the hearer. At the end of the lesson, he passed out tiny boxes that were wrapped up like presents with a bow and told us to put this on our desk or refrigerators to remind us to let our speech be a present to others. All right. So he, he it made a point and he remembered it. Okay. And uh, Stephen says, uh, the best sermon I ever heard was on the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Why? Because the preacher of a small church, maybe eight or ten people, knew I was in attendance. He invited me. And after I confessed Christ, he stated that in his 45 years or so of preaching, it was the first time he'd ever preached on the eunuch. You see, he read the audience and adapted the message to fit the immediate need for which I will be ever thankful to him and Jesus. Thank you, brother. Uh, and he mentions him. And uh, so uh, he's... Thankful for that sermon that got to him and uh, taught him the gospel. Okay. Um, so the, the sermons that really mean something to us are the ones that uh, 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 that we can make ready application of. I think that's pretty clear from those statements that were just made. got an email that's come in, um, and this is from Robin uh, in here in Columbia who says, be careful about judging your audience is the subject line. 
And I think this goes back to what we were saying about people who fall asleep. Oh, okay. Yes. And he says some folks are caregivers and take care of their sick loved ones during the night. Some folks have a medical problem which keeps them from sleeping no matter where they are. uh, That keeps them sleepy no matter where they are. Some folks folks work the night shift but make it their goal to make it to worship service anyway. Some folks like me don't get much sleep due to my illness and so have a problem staying awake during the day at times. We understand that. We understand that there are going to be extenuating circumstances. But I was just talking about some who are habitual sleepers. And if it's, if it's an habitual thing, then, then there's some remedy that needs to be sought. If it's, a, if it's a medical condition, maybe you can seek medical attention. But, you, you know, we come to worship God, and we need to be involved in that process. When the sermon's being preached, it's not just the preacher doing something and you are there to be entertained by it. It's It should be that the preacher is leading an investigation of God's Word, and you're trying to learn something from it. And you can't learn from it if you're falling asleep all the time. I, I admitted that all of us will get sleepy from sometimes. Sometimes people have particular circumstances that may cause them to be sleepy more often. But if it if it is such that you can't ever listen to a sermon without falling asleep, then there's a problem that needs to be addressed there, I think. Okay. All right. Again, but you're not passing judgment if you see somebody's eyes closed, huh? No, I never say anything about it. But I just think, I, I just believe that if that is your condition, if that is your circumstance, then... You probably need to do something to address that. Okay. Because well, you need to be effective. It needs to be, uh, otherwise it's uh, a waste of our time. Um, guest 223 says, most fall asleep due to poor judgment on their part. I, you know, I, I think that that's the larger and, and part. And, uh, and uh, this uh, person says, what Robin says is the exception, not the rule. Okay. Okay. Well, I didn't get that. I, I... No, you're, you need to scroll down there. It's at the bottom. You're not. You're missing all these good comments. Okay. All right. All right. Well, what do you think? Should we call it quits so we not uh, yeah, let's too don't hypocritical? Go, let's, let's don't go over time Yeah, because, tonight. I mean, we're really, they're, they're falling asleep on the other end. <laughs> I think it's been a worthy topic, Jacob, and I, I think we got uh, got people kind of... Were you listening? Were you yeah, taking notes? I think people were interested in, in discussing this because it's obviously something we want to... As, as preachers, we want to make our preaching as effective as it can be. And listeners want to hear good preaching. Okay. And so... You know, if the preachers want to do a good job and the people want to hear good preaching, then this obviously is something that should be prioritized, and we should work at it. We should do the best job we can. All right. Well, the listeners in Columbia, Tennessee, if they come and visit uh, the Columbia Church, or the College of Church of Christ on Sunday morning, will they hear a short sermon? I usually preach about 25 minutes. Will it be an effective sermon? Now that, you'll have to judge on you. Will it have effectual visual aids? There will be visual aids. Okay. Will it be pleasing to God? Uh, I hope so. All right. I pray so. All right. We'll appreciate uh, that. And if you uh, are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, come and worship with us. Dan, thank you for commanding the controls tonight. Uh, Dad, thank you for your time. Thanks, Jacob. And thank you for listening. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College 
College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.